Your Locked On Senators, your daily podcast on the Ottawa Senators. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome inside the Locked On Senators podcast. I'm Ross Levitan in the heart of enemy territory, downtown Toronto, alongside Brandon Pillar up in Collingwood. Today's episode brought to you by Built Bar. Built Bar is a protein bar that tastes like a candy bar. Go to BuiltBar.com, use promo code LOCKEDON, and you'll get $10 off your first order. Coming up, we have another signing to discuss, and it leaves just one remaining RFA. We'll tell you which one signed on the dotted line and who is left. Then we get into part two of our interview with Rachel Dory. She is not a fan of the Sens draft, and she'll try to sell you on why all that and we check in on our sends in europe this is the locked on senators podcast your team every day okay full disclosure what you're about to hear this little insert just recorded after the news breaks alex galchenia coming to ottawa on a one-year ticket worth 1.05 million dollars pilsey your initial thoughts this happened maybe two minutes ago. Well, my initial thoughts is maybe the Sens could give us a heads up before we record an entire episode, and then we have breaking news for the 10th time in the last month. This is another reactionary pod, but we're keeping the old one. It's still it's still good. It's still relevant. There's a couple of things we're going to change. We'll get into that. But my initial reaction, when you told me the Sens signed Galchenyuk, I was like, oh boy, what kind of three-year deal is this going to be? One year? One million? Why wouldn't you take this chance? I mean, this is a third overall pick that has fallen out of favor of NHL teams because he's getting messed around with moving to the center, moving to the wing, trading teams. The, this guy needs some stability. Maybe we can do what happened with Duclair in this situation, right? Duclair was the same guy, high, not as high draft pick, obviously, but a first rounder. He had a lot of promise. He had one or two good seasons, and then teams gave up on him, and he moved around. And when you get him in the right environment, he thrives. I think this is an amazing move by Pierre Dorian, and I would say if this is the final move, we're good. Like, this is a nice roster with lots of upside, and I think we could see Galchenia turn into a good player surrounded by all this young talent. He's very giving. He's giving me very Anthony Duclair vibes in terms of jumping around. Like he had such a perfect-ish home. I mean, he scored thirty goals with the Montreal Canadiens during his one, two, three, four, five, six seasons there. But then he moves to Arizona in the Max Domi trade, plays one year there, then signs with Pittsburgh or is traded there, mind you, for the you, Kessel trade. In the Kessel trade, but then only lasts forty-five games before being traded to Minnesota. So. That's a lot of teams in a few years. Again, a hungry player who wants to prove he belongs at the NHL level. And as our buddy Laleem's Martian just points out, a guy who can bring together all the young Americans and young Russians because he's a dual citizen. So he's got both of those uh, demographics covered. Yeah, well, I wonder uh, what his uh, top 10 Facebook friends are that Dorian found and uh, made it made it work that he comes here. But Man, it is, it is great to see these kind of moves by the Sens because you're not trying to find long-term solutions here. You're trying to catch lightning in a bottle and support the young players that you already have. I don't see Galchenyuk being a long-term guy with the Senators at all, even if he has a good season. I don't see him coming back here. And mo- we talked about how he's very similar to Declare. 
I think this effectively ends Duclair's option to come back to Ottawa. I always thought that whatever deal the Sens had lined up for Duclair and he turned down to go to free agency, that was always going to be on the table for him. But now you get Alex Galchenyuk in the mix here, and I think Duclair's uh, backup default option to come to the Senators is now officially wiped out. And if you're Dorian, you're looking at Duclair being like, we were going to give you a decent, uh, uh, if rumors are true, high $3 million deal. We found someone who is very similar for one year, $1 million. We, we had leverage. We said we could replace you, and now we've done that. I'm very excited to see whether Pierre Dorian sees him at center or at the wing position because that's going to really affect, I think, where he fits. Well, no doubt where he fits, but is it a situation where he's taking an Isimov spot and maybe he's on the outside looking in as more of an insert when we need you to play? Or are you seeing him as a left-wing situation? And as we talk about in the podcast that we just recorded, what was two spots available for Rudy Balsers, Philip Schlappick, and Vitalia Bramov, maybe there's only one in reality. So this is really interesting. We're going to get more into it tomorrow on the Locked On Senators podcast. But now let's get you back to today's LOSP. Today is Wednesday, October 28th and Pilsy. Slappy's back for another season. Happy Slappy. You gotta love seeing him back in Ottawa and it's pretty crazy to think that this is a guy that was a second round draft pick in 2015. Like he seems like he's only scratching the surface of what he's able to do. And I think it's good for the Sens and for Philip Schlappick to uh, get one more year. And especially since it was a little weird that he was the only player on loan in Europe without already being signed. So it's nice that now at least there's some security. Yes, he has a deal and he will be coming back to the Ottawa centers. So I'm happy that uh, Schlappick's back in the fold. Somewhat of a make-or-break season for Philip Schlappick. It's a one-year deal, still a two-way contract, so he'll make 735k in the NHL, 70k in the American League. He will also require waivers if he does not make the Ottawa Senators out of camp, which could get interesting. It seems like two spots maybe for those three guys, being Schlappick, Balsers, and Abramov. Of those three, only Vitali does not need waivers to go to Belleville. And I think he probably has the inside track at, at the spot, uh, at least one of the two. So going to be interesting to see how that plays out, Pilsy. What do you think the projection is for Schlappick? Do you think he's going to get an opportunity to play up the lineup at all? Or is he going to have to do what he did last season, where he turned his game into a grinder type? He was hitting everybody on the four check, but still using his vision, using his playmaking ability to get a, a, a few offensive chances. Before I get to his NHL projection, I want to get uh, your your thought on this. I thought it was a little surprising that he didn't go the Rudolph Balsers route and get a higher AHL average just in case he got uh, sent down or spent a lot of time in the minors. But maybe that wasn't an option for him at that point. But to to go on to your NHL projection, we talked to Craig Button last week, and he told us he doesn't think Schlappig is an NHL player at all, which was kind of surprising for me because – I would say Philip Schlappick has done a decent job at the NHL. He's played 56 games, got 11 points in that time. He actually got a good look last season with 31 games, only a couple points though. I think he's the kind of guy who you're not going to see him move up and down the lineup. I think at this point, it's it's pretty clear what Philip Schlappick's game is. And he does a good, effective job on the fourth line in the NHL. And then in Belleville, he's a top six guy who can be bounced up and down. But I think... 
where Schlafrick's at a disadvantage, like you talked about, is he has to go through waivers if he's sent back down. So I don't see the Sens calling him up just to plug a hole in the lineup because they've got guys like Logan Shaw, Matthew Pekka, who are older, already have NHL experience. And if you bring them up and send them back down and they get picked up in waivers, you're not really worried much. Whereas Schlappick, that's a valuable asset that I still think should be used as a trade sweetener when the Sens try to acquire more veteran NHL talent. Yeah, it is a good thing in a sense for Philip Schlappick because if he doesn't make the Sens out of camp and gets claimed on waivers, which I don't think he would get through all 30 other teams. So you then see a situation where he gets an opportunity with another team. And at that point, there is going to be at some point a crunch of numbers here with all the prospects in the same five-year age category coming up. And the reason why we brought up Schlappick with Craig Button is because of the five-year gap now since his draft. So really, how much more is there in your development curve before you just are the player you are? Because this is a player who's been in Belleville all three seasons of the franchise history. Pilsy actually holds the record most game-winning goals as a Belleville senator. He's got eight of them. Yeah, and I think you're right. Like this, this is a guy who's we've seen what he has, and I think this is what Philip Schlappick is. And that's not a knock on the guy. Like he puts up good points in the AHL. He's able to play at an NHL pace, maybe not super effectively, but if he changes his role into more a two-way player, I think he can be effective. But I like what you said earlier that I don't think the Senators are going to try to get him through waivers because he he won't pass. But if they did trade him to a contending team he's probably at the bottom half of some team's top 10 prospect pool, right? Like maybe eight, nine, or 10 of some contending teams. And I almost feel bad for Schlappick. Like if the Sens would have realized this earlier and cashed in on when he had more value and still some time for some upside, I think they could have got good value in return. And Philip Schlappick would have had better opportunities to try to prove himself and better himself. So kind of an unfortunate situation where, I mean, good problems for the Sens having uh a log jam as our good friend Kenny Stapon tweeted sometimes log jams in organizations is called just having good depth which is what the Ottawa Senators have here so Schlappick kind of gets lost in the shuffle here but we'll see we'll see what he can do this season one thing I did note Ross and I'm not a huge believer in plus minus I don't really take a lot of stock into it but when you see a pattern then I can I see it as a telling stat Every single season, except his final year in the queue, at any level of hockey, he's been a minus player at the end of the season. That's an interesting stat, too, for a guy who's known as being a two-way type player, although in junior it was all offense, right? But as he's gotten into pros, he's been killing penalties for Troy Mann last season. And you look, not many players on Belleville last year were minus players, but he was one of them as well. Like, Nobody really of note. There were guys who were plus 24 like Hubert Labrie and plus 20 like Christian Yarosh, who is now the one senator remaining without a contract. He would also need waivers, Christian Yarosh, I'm talking about now. But do you think he signs a similar contract to Schlappick? Yeah, probably. But if I'm Yarosh, I'm trying to get that boost in AHL money. Because let's be honest, with the amount of guys on the right side of the Ottawa Senators defense, it's not very likely that you're going to be the guy in the NHL. So you're going to be in the AHL again. I would have, I, or we don't know what Yarosh is going to sign for, but if I'm him and his agent, I'm pushing for that bigger money in the AHL. So then at least you feel a little rewarded, even though you're stuck down there for probably the rest of the season, barring any major injuries. Yeah, it's going to be really interesting to see how that shakes out because there is one major difference, and that is that Schlappick was not eligible for arbitration, whereas... Christian Yaroch has his hearing 
for November 9th. So we'll be all over that whenever Yarosh gets his contract under the books, and then the Senators will have everyone on board. Before we get to Rachel Dory, Hilsey, this was, a, this was a fun one. And part one was a lot of more getting to know her background. But part two, we get into some nitty-gritty of Senators draft picks. Absolutely. And look, this is what we're trying to do. Like, and we, we talked to Rachel about this. We're eye test guys. I think it's pretty clear you don't see us tossing around many stats. I mean, we talk about plus minus. That's about as deep as we go in the stat category. Every, every analyst's favorite stat, too. Yeah, yeah. And hey, we talk about goals. Big goals, guys, on this podcast. Huge goals. And saves. And saves <laughs> yeah, no, goalie-friendly show. Yeah. Um, and this is why we're trying to bring people like this onto the show because we want to learn more about analytics and we want to try to help the, the entire hockey world, again, ourselves included, find that balance between the eye test and analytics. Otherwise, you end up like World Series losers, Tampa Bay Rays, following a computer and not going with your gut. You, there needs to be a balance in the two. And I think Rachel brings really uh, strong opinions especially about Tyler Clevin. You're going to hear that. And I, I agree with her on a lot of the things, which is, which is good because you're seeing it from both sides. The eye test doesn't look good, nor do the analytics. So it's, it's finding that balance, and that's what we're trying to do here. Rachel Dory is a master's student at York, covering researching, development, drafting, hockey, hockey ops inefficiency. She's also the youngest member ever of an NHL front office's analytics team when she's with the Devils from 17 to 19. I say that because we're going right into part two. So the conversation's well underway. If you haven't heard part one, go download the podcast. And it's funny that you mentioned the the Rays situation because Rachel actually tweeted out last night saying that what Kevin Cash did is a golden example of using too much of one thing. Too much eye test or too much analytics isn't good. You need proper balance to make optimal decisions. Both are important, not just one. So that's a bit into Rachel's mindset. And now let's get some takes out of her. So here we are presenting part two of our conversation with Rachel Dory. <laughs> well, you mentioned Brady Kachuk in his rookie season. The Sens, of course, the draft being so important to them the last few years. Two first-rounders in 2018, three first-rounders this year. But draft yep. analytics go well beyond the day of the draft. It's how you develop them as well. How do you know, based on the leagues, like some guys are already playing against men, a la Timmy Stutzla, whereas some guys, like Jake Sanderson, so the Sens are the perfect analogy, is, are playing against guys no older than, than 20. So how can you project, based on that, where they're going to be in five to eight years, really, before they hit unrestricted free agency? I think that there's a couple things that you've got to factor in. How much money do you have sunk into your development system within your team? So, I mean, it's it's not a secret that Toronto's is the most robust. They pay all manner of money to, to do that. And then there are other teams that have one or two development coaches. And I'm actually studying this for my master's. So it's, it's kind of cool that you ask because I'm in the middle of researching this. You can't have a hard and fast projection for every player because the development system and the situation that they get put in has a huge impact on whether they'll develop into a star or not. So a player that would get rushed, let's say, so I'm not going to lie, I'm going to use Timmy Stosla as an example. Perfect. I personally would not have him playing in the NHL next year. Thank you. Thank you. I think he should be playing either in the AHL or in Europe. I think there are significant warts in his game, as every prospect has, with save for the exception right now of Alexi Lafreniere, that warrant developing. And the Sens do not have that robust development staff 
And so I think that with the way that the Germans develop, or even at the AHL level, getting used to playing and working on his weaknesses will allow him to develop more. Whereas if you just stick him in the NHL immediately, and I promise you this is going to happen, he's going to see the number one D pairing and the number one checking line, and he's not going to get a chance to improve on its on his warts, and they will get exposed. So to me, I look at who drafts them and what their situation is more than I look at, oh, this player projects to be this. Because I can guarantee you that if Minnesota took him or if a team, let's say that has, if the Leafs took him with more forward depth, that guy would not be in the NHL for probably two years because they would want to develop. So I think it's all situational, but teams who don't have a robust development staff tend to draft players that are going the NCAA route because the NCAA has a really good development system and it's free for the teams. Like they don't have to pay for it because they're being developed by the schools. So, I mean, Pierre Dorian might as well have a house in North Dakota at this point, but that's a really good development system. And so I think you have to look at the situation. I could tell you what I project the Sens will get out of their picks based on how, where they're going and and what they're developing into. But it's hard to say because of the situation. Like if I don't think Jake Sanderson should be leaving North Dakota for a minimum of two years. Yeah, I'm, I'm glad you said that. You're kind of echoing what I've been saying. Uh, I don't think there's a lot of Sens fans that are like, you drafted Timmy Stutzel third overall. He should be in the NHL yesterday, like immediately. And I said, That's a terrible uh, idea. <laughs> yeah, so the, the, as Craig Button famously says, the NHL is not a developmental league. That's not where you develop your players. So I'm with you on Stutzel and, and similar with Sanderson. I don't think there's any rush to get him there. Use UND like like you said, as a good development tool. And that actually kind of leans into my next question kind of nicely. And fans of the show are probably going to roll their eyes. I've asked this question in a lot of interviews. but Pretty I straight get your... interviews now. <laughs> yeah. But it's I... so prevalent. Definitely. And I want to get your perspective on it. So, Rachel, let's see if you can spot this trend in the Senators organization. Oh, can't Ross, wait. <laughs> Ross and I will uh, bounce these off you. So, JBD and Johnny Tyconic, they were childhood friends. Yeah, they first played together when they were 10 years old. Then you have Jake Sanderson and Ridley Gregg, whose dads were drafted by the same team in the same year. So they grew up playing together as well. And Sanderson is going to be roommates with Clevens at, at Clevin at UND. And then Drake Batherson and Kate Breton, his billet brother, is Igor Sokolov, a second rounder from this year. There we go. Logan Brown, Brady Kachuk were minor hockey league teammates. They know each other going way back. And then obviously, famously, Pierre Dorian, when making the trade of the best player in franchise history, why'd you do it? Well, Josh Norris is Brady Kachuk's best friend. So it's obvious that they draft with connections, at least in mind. There's got to be some sort of thinking there. There's no analytics for this, this kind of thing. But Oh, and Lassie Thompson and Robbie Yarventi. Yep, it, we could go on for a while. But how valuable do you think it is to have guys who have good chemistry and uh, will continue to develop together as they're playing hockey at UND or wherever, and they know each other when they meet each other in Ottawa? Is there any sort of value that you can find from that, or is this just all strange coincidences? No. I did not realize that it was that deeply rooted. Oh, yeah. That is really alarming wow like that was mind-blowing to just listen to that I might have to get you guys to send that to me so I can put that in my research as like don't do that so I don't know if you guys have seen me shouting on Twitter about drafting the best player available but the Sens had three first rounders and only drafted the best player available one of those times 
which is not ideal. Also, yes, if a parent has played in the NHL, odds are that kid is going to have a little bit of a leg up because they'll understand the mechanics. Under no circumstances am I drafting a player because of their roommate, their friend, their dad's teammate. Don't forget Billet Brothers. Their Billet Brothers. That's that's the dumbest shit I've ever heard. Because like... Okay, first of all, can we talk about Tyler Clevin for a second? Oh, yeah. Okay, let's let's hear that. Go off. That was one of the worst picks I can remember. That and Ridley Gregg, ironically. I like was... Ridley. I'm on big-time Ridley train. Okay. This guy had a well over a point per game in the second okay, half of the season. Okay, I will say this about Ridley Gregg. Is he going to play in the NHL? Yes, he probably will. The Ottawa Senators need talent, and like a lot of it, they're 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 struggling. They took Ridley Gregg when Brendan Brisson and Maverick Bork were on the board. Yeah, those I would not have done game. that. I would not have taken who New Jersey or Columbus took either. But when you're rebuilding, other than taking the best player available, there, there should not be another option. There shouldn't be, we need this position. When you're as bad as Ottawa, Detroit, like any of those teams, you just need to be taking the best player available because you clearly need talent everywhere, right? So I don't buy into this, always oh, this person's roommate. That just means you can. it's easier for you to do recon. So all you're telling me there is you're too lazy to do recon on a player that one of your players doesn't already know. Let's focus on Tyler Clevin, though. What, what concerns you most about his game? Because I've heard Hockey IQ is probably the, the thing he needs most help with. Yeah, so I've long been on record saying the easiest thing to fix, uh, there are two things that are easy to fix, skating and strength. Okay, he's strong. He's definitely, there's no arguments about that. But to trade up while the team that you traded with is your divisional rival, who then proceeded to take two players ranked ahead of the dude that you traded up to take, is bad. Tyler Clevin, his best attribute is that he's mean. I don't know about you, But I feel like if we're describing hockey players, I really don't want that to be their best attribute. Because if I say, okay, Ross, Brennan, what is Thomas Shabbat's best attribute? Probably skating, his poise under pressure. Does elite toughness come to mind right away? No. Or are there other things? No, there's other things. Right. But when I think about Brady Kachuk, it's a little bit higher on the list and I hold him in pretty similar regard. Right, but can you name other things that Brady Kachuk is absolutely extremely good at? Yeah, and to coincide it with Shabbat, it'd be the elite hockey IQ and vision, being able to see the game. So Tyler Clevin's biggest issue is his hockey IQ. You're absolutely right. Um, And the big problem with that is, yes, you can improve it. I wrote an entire article on how you can do that, but it's so out of the box that nary an NHL team would be willing to try it. And it's like, it's easily, it's the hardest thing to develop. And if you don't have a robust development system, you don't have a shot in hell at developing it. So basically you guys just like... Ottawa just drafted a big mean dude, which you could have just signed for free, right? Like that, to me, it just, it makes little sense yeah, to be drafting o- somebody like that. The only, the way we've kind of looked at it and tried to sell it to ourselves and Sens fans is look, this is a guy, he's going to be a project guy for sure. And like you said, trading up for a project guy, not ideal, but looking past that, 
the developmental side, like you said, there's not much better route for a team like the Ottawa Senators whose development core from their franchise is limited. So stick him at UMD for four seasons. Let him stay there the whole time. You're not rushing him. You have other defensemen that are already ahead of him. And then with that four seasons at UMD, hopefully he gets developed properly and he can come into your system in a much better place than when you drafted him. I think that's what we've sold ourselves on. It's not ideal that they traded up and got him in the second round, but we still got some hope there. When you look at it again, too, that was their fifth pick in the draft. Yeah. You can take a bit of a swing if they believe there's some sort of upside that may be hidden for all of us. Okay, but you're not taking – like, they took that swing. That swing was Ridley Gregg. That swing was Jake Sanderson. There were, by my count, four better players on the board than before Jake Sanderson. Three or four, at least. And so you have that. And then you have the Ridley Gregg situation, in which case I, I would not have taken Ridley Gregg in the first round. I probably would not have taken Ridley Gregg in the top 50. But that's just my personal opinion. I know at Elite Prospects, we are kind of in agreement on that. But I do know for a fact that other teams value Tyler Clevin. I know they valued him because he's big and mean and tough. And again, that's probably not the first thing you need to be drafting for. Because I heard Pierre Dorian say this, and it's so funny because I heard this while employed. He cross-checks people in front of the net. Okay, that's breaking the rules. You're not allowed to do that. So, like, maybe don't draft people that do that? I don't know. I don't think, kind of like you guys brought up with the whole relationship thing, you don't draft for toughness. You don't draft for friendship. You don't draft because of their dad. You don't draft because their mom's uncle knew this person that's friends with Eugene Melnick. Like, I don't know. You just, you draft the best player available, and Ottawa just didn't do that. Before we get back to our interview with Rachel Dory, we want to tell you about our friends at Built Bar. Built Bar, you know them as the protein bar that tastes just like a candy bar. But let me dive a little deeper into these delicious protein bars. They're 100% covered in chocolate. Half of them have nuts in them. Half don't. There's 16 amazing flavors to choose from. They're soft and they're especially easy to chew. Built Bar is great for the health conscious guy or gal. Lose or maintain weight while indulging in a delicious treat. I'm pretty hungry. I might grab one right now. The bars are low in calorie, low in sugar, but they're high in protein and high in fiber. I've been crushing the peanut butter brownies. It has 20 grams of protein, only 170 calories. That is a ratio I can get behind. And when you mix in only three grams of net carbs and three grams of sugar, that is what I call an amazing combination of flavor meets nutrition. You know I'm coming to Pillsy for a pick of the week, though. I got a great pick of the week for you guys, and I teased it last uh, episode where we did a Built Bar ad. Built Bites, just in time for Halloween. You know Built Bar is the protein bar that tastes like a candy bar. Well, they have a new flavor only available in Built Bites for a limited time, and that's Mocha Love. So chocolate and coffee, you're getting your protein, your coffee flavor in a little tiny Built Bite bar. You gotta love it. Go try it. Built Bar Bites, Mocha Love. And you can find all that information at BuiltBar.com. It's the Built Bar, the protein bar that tastes like a candy bar. BuiltBar.com. Make sure you use our promo code too. Locked on will get you $10 off your first order. That is promo code locked on at BuiltBar.com gets you $10 off your first order. All right, now let's get back to our chat with Rachel Dory. 
time will tell. We'll we'll be uh, having this conversation five years down the road. I hope we've had a. Either Clevin's going to be the number two defense and just number watch. two. It's going to be people are going to be talking as he's Mark Mathot, Eric Carlson, ten years down the road, and we're no. Just you know who's that's going to be? Everyone in Ottawa doesn't do a, enough talking about Eric Brandstrom. This guy is so good. He's so good. And I don't hear him brought up once. Oh, well, Brandon and I did a lot of work in production team with Belleville. So we've been going back and forth for home games over the past two years. And My good buddy level, works there. He's elite at that level. Oh, he's... It's, it's unreal. And he's a guy who I can see. And I know it's been a big topic in Toronto about lefty-righty on the point. I see him as the perfect lefty who can play the right side. because he's... 100%. His game on the on the transitional aspect transitions so well. So then you look at a top four, two or three years down the road. I'm a huge JBD fan. I think he's like maybe yep. more of that Mark Mathot type to play on Carlson on Carlson Shabbat's pair. And as a lefty for Shabbat, it works out perfect. JBD shooting right. And then all you need Jake Sanderson is to hold down the fort with Branstrom on second pair. And to me, you have a pretty solid top four. So 100%. if at that point, five years down the road, you introduce a 23-year-old mean defenseman, it could round the group out pretty nicely. Yeah, I think that that would be a, a pretty good top four. Um, now you're also putting all your eggs in the all of them will develop, and a math would indicate that it's likely two of them will develop. One's already there, Thomas Shabbat. Right, so now you're looking at, okay, one of Brandstrom, JBD, and Sanderson are going to develop into what you think they will be. Mix will land and into that. He's not a top four defenseman. Oh, I love that. Yeah, play. not not in those. Okay, so those four are clearly Ottawa's oh, best 100%. prospects. And you, I think we see this uh, around the league. Players end up, whether they're good enough or not, they end up playing further up the lineup just because of team need. I think that those will be your four defensemen going forward so long as Ottawa can keep them all. And that would be solid. If they all develop even to 80% of their ceiling, that's a really solid top four. It really is. The problem that you have is there's not a whole lot going on up front, right? You've got Brady Kachuk, who is a very good hockey player. But if we're going to com- be comparing, like, Brady Kachuk is not Alexi Lafreniere level. Like, he's not your superstar. He's your pain in the butt. Like, he's brother. Everyone, like, he's so valuable. He brings traits that are so valuable. But he isn't the game breaker. And Ottawa needs a game breaker. And I'm not sold. That Stutzla is that. Uh, he could develop into that. And as a German, I would love that. But I'm not sold that he is your Nathan McKinnon, Nikita Kucherov, Austin Matthews, Matt Barzell. I'm not sold that he's at that level. Again, Rachel, I'm, I'm right there with you. I've caught a lot of slack for uh, maybe downplaying Stutzla, especially Sens fans, uh, obviously are very ecstatic to have him. I think he's going to be a dynamic player, but I'm not quite convinced that he's going to be a game changer. Time will tell. We'll see. But um, this has been a great discussion. We've had uh, lots of back and forth debate and opening our eyes to uh, things that we're not usually used to looking at. So I thank you for that. And I just have one more question from me. You've been able to work in all sorts of facets of the game of hockey. You've had so many different jobs with different teams. What kind of advice or tips would you give to uh, people trying to break into the hockey world? Specifically, I'm talking about young girls to try to find hockey jobs and find the success that you've had. Be kind, for sure. Be thankful. And you're going to have to work and contribute in areas that you didn't necessarily sign up for. But in the long run, do those things because it will be valuable experience down the road and people will appreciate it. 
you've been a huge role model for, for many already. I feel like you're so young yourself. What do you feel like is the next step for you? Honestly, I, I'm trying to figure things out. So I'm getting the podcast back up and running. Oh um, yeah. Which some people Give it a seem plug. to be excited about. The Staff and Graph podcast is coming back on Wednesday, actually. It is with Mikey Stevens. Okay. I'm pretty pumped about it. We are campaigning to get MJ on the podcast. So we'll see how that goes. But I'm pretty excited. I would say the next step, other than getting that up and running, I've got to complete my master's. I'm debating a PhD in hockey analytics. So whenever people want to come at me on Twitter, I can just be like, I have a PhD. No, that's not why. But I'm also planning on a few months in Germany. I would like to study how they develop athletes over there, specifically hockey and soccer players, because I think that it can be applied here. And I think that we could benefit from that. So that's kind of down the road. Um, Hopefully I get to consult with a team at some point. I've done a little bit of that over the past few months and it's been exciting. So hopefully I get to, I get to do that, but who knows, maybe I'll, uh, I'll make radio appearances or something like that. Well, you're always welcome back on the Locked On Senators podcast, the host of the Staff and Graph podcast and research drafting. Hey, speaking of drafting your thesis, when that's complete, I want a full breakdown back on the show. So that's what we're getting you back. Okay, Rachel? Sounds good. Awesome. It's Rachel Dory at Rachel Dory on Twitter. Thanks so much for taking the time today. Thanks for having me, boys. Stick taps to Rachel for taking the time with us. Really appreciate it. I feel smarter for it as well. Pilsy, love watching these sends in Europe. It's like guaranteed goal day every time they step on the ice. We had two more yesterday. Well, when Craig Button said that uh, the Senators have the deepest prospect pool of any team out there, bar none, all you have to do is look overseas and follow Sen's prospects on Twitter because every single day it's a new guy lighting it up, scoring, getting assists. Ross, who are we going to start with first? So let's start with Eric Brandstrom, and he plays for the SCL Tigers, if you follow us on Twitter at Send Central, made a little boo-boo this morning. Marco Rossi was assigned to the ZSC Lions. So I got my big cats mixed up. I Are said you they sure? were gonna you I said still, they, you still sound confused. I'm so confused, but <laughs> all I know is I was wrong. But I'm right when I say that Eric Brandstrom's one timer looks as pretty as it did in Belleville. Absolutely, yeah. And I, I tweeted that out because a lot of people are still down on Eric Branstrom, but I think we're starting to get like some of the athletic guys, some of the guys from Dauber Pros. Rachel, prospects. just in part two, you just heard it. She says Sense fans aren't talking about him enough. Yeah, exactly. Uh, elite prospects where Rachel works, uh, to your point. Some of these people are starting to recognize how good Eric Branstrom is. And I think now that there's, there's no hockey in North America, well, I mean, at least at a pro level. So your eyes are on Europe and you're seeing what Eric Branstrom can do. And that one timer was pretty much at the blue line. Like he wasn't hovering in the high slot. He was all the way on the blue line and he beat the goalie clean. This is the kind of talent and offensive upside that Eric Branstrom brings at those competition levels. He needs to break through and be able to do this at the NHL level. But how do you do that? By working on other parts of your game at lower levels, at the developing levels. Because we saw what he could do in the NHL and he wasn't quite ready. It was obvious, right? He he was put in a spot the Sens didn't want to put him in. But I think he's going to come back this season 
with a lot of confidence. I think we're both on the same page that you start Bransom in Belleville once if there's injury trouble or there's some trades or he really starts showing that he's picked up on some of the better defensive sides and his play uh, gets stronger with the puck. Then you're going to see him move up to the NHL and you're not going to see him coming back down the highway to Belleville. In three straight games now, he has points with his team in the NLA. That's what I'm going to call him just now, the, the, his team in the NLA. Five, five games, two goals, both those goals on the power play. But the one yesterday, what I love about it too, and it is on the power play, yeah, you're going to switch sides occasionally anyways, but to see him on the right point yeah. make those shots, that is where I see his future at the NHL level. So Branstrom gets a goal, but every time Elvis plays, great to see Lassie the Lynx, by the way, get on the score sheet with an assist, a little dipsy doodle in the neutral zone. And then he found his winger who actually made the nice shot. It was a lot of his wingers work once he got in the blue line, but controlled zone exits. Rachel talked about having control through those zone exits and entries. That makes a world of difference. So great play by Lassie there, but Robbie Yarventi, man, this guy don't let him get open in the offensive zone. That was a goal scorer's goal. Absolutely. And I don't want to pass over Lassie uh, just quickly. So I want to get into that he's starting to feel it like that was a confident play you can you can say what you want sure he pretty much dished it to his winger and his winger did the rest but if you're following him on an iso cam he's confidently starting the rush he dances around the defender in stride mind you not a great play by uh, the opponent there pretty easy to get around him there but he does it in stride he continues skating he dishes it off to the winger and he doesn't stop and then admire his pass and watch what's going on. He heads right to the net and he creates traffic. He creates, uh, the team has to uh, go to Lassie to make space and that opens things up for that shot. And that's a primary assist. So like we said, that secondary assist that he got the other day just gives you a bit of confidence. You start feeling the puck a little better on your stick. You're skating uh, more. You feel like you can be the guy that starts the plays. And that's the result you see there with Lassie Thompson setting up that goal. Yeah, certainly. So that confidence, hopefully it carries over. But Robbie Arventi doesn't need any more confidence. This kid's on a heater. And what I love too, Pilsy, is after that goal, and you can break it down, um, the Sally is like he's been there 100 times. Oh, yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean, that, that's a goal score right there. And I, I wanna, I'm glad you uh, toss it back to me to break this down because you can really tell how offensively minded Robbie Yarventi is. When there's a scramble for that puck, I think there's like three or four different players all in that middle area when that puck's bouncing around. All of them go for the puck. What does Yarventi do? He slowly creeps into the background, finds himself in open space, as soon as he's in open space and notices that his teammate has the puck, he does a quick beaver tap on the ice. Quick one. I'm open. Boom. Pass. One-timer. Goal. The Robbie Yarventi story. He is lighting it up with the Lynx in Finland. And this kid, like, I think he's going to come over and be hot. A lot of the analytical people that didn't really like the Sens draft, one thing they always say is I love the Robbie Yarventi swing. The upside is huge there. He's got a lot of work to do off the puck and with consistent efforts, but the offensive upside is clear. So clear, and he's just proving it game after game, I think becoming more and more of a lock for the world junior team every single time that he lights the lamp, and he's going to be on that finished roster next month. Some sad news, too, because Germans doing the same thing at the start of November. They just revealed their lineup for that. No J.J. Paterka, which was a surprise as well, but it sucked not even getting excited about it, just knowing because of the broken hand that Timmy Superstar won't be playing. 
It really does suck, especially for me, someone who's got a Timmy Stutzla jersey in the mail. I want to say thanks to Sens fans. I was undecided where I was going to go, so we, we put it up on Twitter. You guys decide an hour poll where 261 people voted, so it was clear. And Robbie or uh, Timmy Stutzla, rather, was the clear winner at like 40%. And if you look closely at the picture I tweeted, I voted for Stutzla myself. So... People that think I'm just a hater and down on Stutza, maybe I don't think he's Patrick Kane-esque, and maybe I think it's not the craziest idea to give this kid one more year of development before tossing him to the Wolves in the NHL. But I love Timmy Stutzla. I'm a German guy. I'm stoked he's on our team. I think he's going to be electric when he's ready to come over here, and I'm going to have that jersey on my back, and I'm going to be cheering just as loud as anyone else when he lights it up. So disappointing it wasn't Matt Murray that it ultimately ended up being. He had the, the lowest amount of votes. That's, yeah, that's surprising. Yeah, that's I, I would have loved a Murray jersey as well. But uh, I think knowing that uh, Timmy Stutzla is going to be a part of this franchise, and that was kind of the whole idea with these new era jerseys. I didn't want to get a veteran guy. I wanted to introduce it with the young guns coming in. So that worked out perfectly. It's in the mail along with my hoodie, the same one you're wearing. I'm stoked for this new Sense merch. Brady Kachuk finished second in the poll with 29%. And since that's the one that I have already in, I'm glad that we can now go yin and yang when we're finally allowed back at the CTC. We know we're going to be having a beer with Aleem's Martian whenever that is. So to preview that, we're going to get him on the show on Friday. But tomorrow, a sense prospect. That's all we're going to say. And we'll leave it at that. For Brandon Piller, I'm Ross Levitan. This has been the Locked On Senators podcast, your team every day. <laughs>